technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... Barriers are breaking really in terms of digital services and will just make things possible that haven't been possible before. Digital healthcare, working from home, conference services, all these kind of things. So it's really opening up in a way, ushering us into a new world way faster than we would have hoped. You're listening to The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. has put tremendous pressure on communication service providers. CSPs have breached annual bandwidth demand forecasts within the first month of lockdown. But to business strategist Han Gertes of Nokia's San Francisco office and Florian Gruna, a partner at PwC in New York, the new normal offers opportunities for the telecom sector to reinvent its relationship with the customer. So we began by asking Florian to define the new normal. Your guess is as good as anyone's. I think everybody's still in the in the process of figuring that out. Um, I think it's pretty clear that it's triggering uh, a significant shift um, in in how we work, how we play, how we engage. You know, so I think from a from a consumer um, uh, perspective, uh, it's it's really driving new kinds of behaviors, amplifying some trends that have been ongoing but really accelerating those in terms of work, education, uh, uh, things like that. Um, uh, um, on, the, on the flip side, um, I think it's also triggering um, um, a massive response uh, uh, from, from a government perspective and is obviously also reshaping the way businesses, in particular uh, uh, telco providers, which we're going to talk about today, um, uh, provide services, uh, think about uh, uh, how they um, develop, deploy uh, um, uh, their infrastructure, how they transform their operations at the end of the day. So it's, I think it's really touching all aspects of, of life, commerce, business. But frankly, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of experimentation and discovery work still going on. So I think it's it's, it's a scary but also exciting time. Well, Hans, under the new normal, we've seen a, a surge in demand, but a surge in capacity, too. How has the global telecom fabric reacted to this new normal? The first thing that I, I think we can observe in terms of the, the role of telecoms in society is, is really how, how important the role is that uh, telecom technology and operators have played from the beginning in, in, in fighting against the COVID pandemic. So there's many things from just educating the public, fighting at the front line with healthcare providers and all that. Um, so that's maybe the first learning we had, um, how tightly interwoven this fabric of telecoms is with the fabric of modern society that is affected by this pandemic. And then since you asked about capacity um, and demand, of course, we've seen demand shifting. We've seen capacity actually requirements surging. Um, demand has shifted from... Uh, in, in those countries that went into lockdown from, say, business parks, um, commercial areas into residential areas because people work from home and um, demand patterns over time have shifted. So uh, in, especially in the first days, for example, video streaming, Netflix and the like were on a lot more and also on the weekend because people just couldn't go out. And as, as a um, 
Aftermath of that, we had some service degradation because the networks actually had to cope and adapt a little bit. Some performance issues, we also from Nokia measured those in uh, some customers where we do performance analytics, service analytics. And then last not least, I think there also was a big impact uh, in terms of the business processes and the, the customer interaction of telecom operators. One thing that uh, that probably was most existential to providers was uh, payments. So the moment you have to shut down your stores as a service provider, or maybe even shut down your your call centers, how do you gonna uh, how are you gonna collect payments, uh, especially in countries that are very prepaid heavy, how would that work if it's not electronic fund transfer, anything of the sort. So I would say it has had big implications on, on this fabric of telecoms as a whole from the get go. With so many people working from home, what are the implications for web scale? You know, does this mean telecoms are now competing against the Googles and Amazons and cloud infrastructure or are they complementing it? I think it's really more a question of of complementing it. Although there are examples of of crossover, you know, where you see uh, deals that some players are making to invest in, for example, video conferencing uh, a capability and really uh, try to move into into services uh, um, that traditionally have been uh, more kind of the home of the of the hyperscalers or the or the uh, software as a service providers. Um, but I think the bread and butter will will uh, uh, remain um, um, really on ensuring that capacity is there, that that quality of service uh, uh, from a from a from a broadband uh, capability perspective um, uh, um, uh, can be provided consistently. And uh, uh, I think uh, I mean this this current situation really puts a spotlight on the. On the critical importance of infrastructure and will, uh, I think, also drive many, many governments and kind of private public partnership conversations to really uh, um, uh, reconsider how to potentially accelerate or increase or, or, or tap into crisis response funds to uh, uh, also shore up uh, and, and, and take uh, digital infrastructure and broadband infrastructure to the next level. And because it's just so critical to everything we do. Um, uh, not just to communicate, but to work, to get groceries, uh, to go to school. Uh, it, it's really turning into uh, uh, into the backbone of of everyday life, and it's never been clearer than today. So it sounds like COVID nineteen is revealing some market facing opportunities for those in the communication service provider space. Yeah, I would say it. Uh, it definitely does. In the first. Reaction to the to the pandemic, um, a lot of operators have uh, provided services for free, which is um, well revenues that they don't collect in that instance. But um, that's actually been used by by many as a vehicle to promote some digital services that they, that they already had. For example, business conferencing, Microsoft Teams, or, or WebEx. A lot of operators have actually made those available for businesses for free for a limited time, and thus attracting new users that. Um, in many cases, will probably stay on that service. So, um, from that perspective, there is an opportunity to position more digital services uh, at a broader scale than than ever before. There's the the direct market opportunity uh, in the monetization sense, but I think there's the broader opportunity, which is a little less immediate, but potentially more sustainable in the sense that this really provides an opportunity to telcos to reposition their brand and how they are 
perceived uh, by by consumers and businesses alike. Who I think, um, I mean, if you if you experience your telco as somebody who has your back uh, uh, in a uh, in a time of crisis, either as Hans just uh, alluded to by by getting you through a rough patch uh, by uh, um, by uh, opening up capacity and and uh, uh, critical services without hitting you with a hefty bill right out of the gate, but also um, um, potentially playing a visible and meaningful role to really address the challenges at a societal level. You know, so, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of discussion and uh, work going on around contact tracing apps, for example. That comes with uh, uh, privacy and uh, security concerns and challenges. And I think that just offers a big opportunity to telcos to really clarify the position and the role they can play as regulated entities that really take those requirements or those priorities very, very seriously and are also in a position with, uh, uh, from a compliance perspective, from a controls perspective, to really live up to those expectations and requirements. Yeah? So in, in a sense, it is uh, coming back to the, to the web scale uh, a question you raised earlier. It's also an opportunity to maybe reclaim uh, some lost ground uh, where um, maybe individuals or, or a government or the society at large um, isn't ready to trust uh, uh, global tech companies uh, um, uh, um, uh, or, or the fangs, so to speak, uh, with running that agenda and uh, uh, really place more trust in their local telco, you know, because it is regulated and subject to different kinds of oversight, et cetera, which can actually be an advantage in the current situation. Those fangs being Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, Netflix. Uh, tell me though, you, you brought up contact tracing as an issue. We learned on Futurhythmic with Sandy Pentland, you know, the godfather of artificial intelligence at, at MIT that our glowing rectangles offer a solution, but they create challenges too. Yeah, so I think the, the opportunities obviously in, in contact tracing are that the mobile, everybody carries a mobile phone in most, most societies nowadays. And um, just by seeing where people go and, and how their movements are, we can make a lot of ground against this pandemic by tracing specific contacts, but also monitoring population, population movement and the like. Now, the, the, Challenges, I would say, are then around a topic that Florian already alluded to, which is the regulation, privacy, data security. There's been a lot of security challenges also in this in this situation. So, who actually has access to these uh, to this data? Who controls movements of the population? And we've seen from some very big telecom operators uh, solutions, all encompassing uh, digital pandemic uh, fight solutions that really border or cross over into Orwellian 1984 territory because it's really a very tight monitoring of uh, a lot of aspects that people have not shared with any central entity or corporation or government before. So there's a lot of potential um, in technology on that side, but then again, there's the aspect of surveillance, privacy, um, what's the data used for, who has uh, access to it. And that's been actually discussed, especially in Europe, I would say, um, with great uh, detail, and, and that's important, I would say. There's not going to be a single answer to this challenge. And to some extent, I think the answer or the path a specific market takes also depends on the governance and cultural uh, context. So, for example, if you look at some of the Eastern markets, 
that that really culturally are more centered around the collective versus the individual. Um, I mean, you've seen very decisive moves that are just pushed down and mandated. And to Hans's point, in, in Western markets in Europe or, or North America, I mean, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of a more kind of entrepreneurial initiative uh, uh, driven point solutions uh, uh, that uh, um, to some extent compete with each other. So I think it will be more more of a, a fragmented and chaotic response where I think things like interoperability, um, but also to just drive adoption and reach the, the, the critical scale that is required for these solutions to have meaningful impact. I mean, that's, that's something that we'll need to watch and see if, if that works. What though of scale? You mentioned that because money is cheap right now and is expected to be for at least the next two years. What of infrastructure investments within the industry? How does a CSP know how much to invest and when to ensure an acceptable return on investment when you really don't know what the near future holds for demand? I'm probably a little more bullish on this because I think if, if, the, if the current uh, situation has shown one thing is the demand for broadband and connectivity is here to stay. And I think current kind of economic downturn and related turmoil aside, I think the long-term trend in terms of traffic patterns is intact or even accelerated, which in my mind at least makes um, the, the, the CapEx investment agenda from a, from a 5G, fiber, what have you, rollout perspective, a little bit of a no-brainer. It's, 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 it's kind of unavoidable as a generational upgrade anyhow. At some point, as we say in German, you need to swallow that frog. So <laughs> I, I think it's it's inevitable, unavoidable. So I'm I'm not sure. I'm a big believer in uh, uh, tapering investment. And to your point, I mean, if money is cheap, um, this this may be actually an opportunity to uh, claim a bit of a head start position and and, uh, and grab some market share if you can, if your balance sheet supports it. But didn't we already sort of swallow that frog? We consumed an entire year's worth of bandwidth growth in a single month. And so what does a CSP do when they see that that demand has increased in a month that they were expecting it to take a year? And then recognizing that at some point, we're all going to go back to work largely to say, and maybe that expansion sees a little bit of a tapering off or, or, or a leveling off. I, I, am, am, I, am I just sort of trying to, 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 to poke at your argument, your, your bullish argument here, or is there a concern that we're not going to need to see the infrastructure expansion in a year that we had seen in a month? I think Florian is, is, is absolutely right. It is inevitable and we haven't really swallowed that frog, so to say, because as you say, the capacity of the networks and maybe we should say first that there have not been big outages or big blackouts um, anywhere. There was some, in some cases, infrastructure was creaking, but it held up because there's this capacity reserve that you mentioned that's always built in, right? Um, and uh, that's largely been used up in a very short time. So operators have to add capacity. And we see that in Nokia, we see that in terms of um, demand and orders actually coming in. But there's also um, there's also some things that operators are doing now to be smarter about their money, to invest more into optimization, for example, of their, of their radio network, because you can get out of the same infrastructure often like 
a couple of more percentage of, of, of capacity with some some easy measures. And that's actually the things that our customers have asked for almost almost the first. Um, there it is though it is though coming at a time where a lot of operators already before everything started had this big question mark and okay, when is my 5G investment actually gonna pay off and how should my investment curve look like? So it's not as if they were all ready to go and then and got disrupted. They already had question marks. Maybe one one thing to mention here as well is that there's some new areas that I think can merit some additional investment, one of them being really security, because we have seen a surge in malware, um, bad apps being being in the app store, um, apps that fake to be uh, COVID information, but really was was only uh, phishing and Trojans and, and, and that, that kind of stuff. Phishing attacks, playing on people's fear about the virus and all these things. So that's one of the areas where we've actually seen really a new surge of attacks and that probably merits some thinking by operators on how to secure their, their infrastructure. Florian, is there an M&A opportunity in this as we see consolidation and restructuring as we evolve the digital workplace? Maybe there's the current crisis uh, uh, environment, which may offer opportunities as uh, um, valuations shift. Although, I mean, the, the stock market uh, has has held up surprisingly well. So I'm not sure if that's that's uh, that's actually going to materialize and, and, and lead to these types of opportunities. Uh, and then there's also the the um, kind of general observation on the sector that that telcos going into the crisis, uh, generally speaking, were pretty highly leveraged uh, uh, already. So I think the opportunity for for mega deals, I'm not sure if the the, the, the current situation uh, uh, changes that substantially, but uh, yeah, I mean there there may be point opportunities for for some con- consolidation moves plug some holes um, uh, um, uh, when, when it comes to a backhaul fiber um, uh, densification capabilities. Uh, although from, from some of the work that we're doing with uh, private equity ex- investors, for example, it, it seems as if there aren't enough fiber assets on this planet <laughs> to satisfy demand from investors. So um, I don't know where that leaves us. Yeah, I think it, I wouldn't take it off the table, but uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if if uh, the COVID environment has has uh, amplified or opened up new uh, opportunities per se, you know, I think generally speaking, uh, um, uh, periods of turmoil tend to drive people to take a bit more of a cautious uh, uh, approach. But uh, I mean, we have seen tuck-in acquisitions uh, um, go through regardless. Um, Although I, w- I would say in, in, in terms of investment opportunity i would i would love really um operators to think about it this way and MA might be one but there's actually more um some 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 more and more immediate tangible ones um that operators might be forced to do now that will pay off in the long run one example is actually the um yeah touchless telco and digitalized uh, customer experience so that's actually a topic that a lot of operators have had on their agenda one way or another. And a lot of operators actually don't yet have, for example, a good app that lets their customers do most of the interaction in a digital uh, touchless way. And because this pandemic is here to stay for um, at least, well, a couple of months, 18 months, however long, with some sort of restrictions on physical interaction, on 
uh, retail, brick and mortar retail and all these things. That's actually an opportunity to really digitize telco operations, which will pay off in the long run, because if there's one thing we've learned about this is that customers actually to be taken on this digital path, to not have to call a call center or go anywhere to just interact with the operator on an app very easy, very seamlessly. So that will be uh, an investment that will pay out for a long time, even if they're forced to do it now or to accelerate it now because of the, the, the special situation. So from that perspective, I would say it's not a fundamental shift in what operators have to do, but maybe an acceleration in some areas. And it's the same with the capacity we talked about before. Some there's a, there's more demand. Demand is shifting somewhat, so this might accelerate some capacity investment. But that's something that was on the agenda anyway. A challenge has been consumer adoption to some extent. Yeah? So at least the 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 the, the um, kind of incumbent facilities-based carriers, excluding some of the MNO and digital uh, MVNO and digital pure players uh, uh, here. Um, I mean, they've they've been able to drive digital sales to I don't know 15, 20, maybe at the top end of the range, 30 percent uh, of overall sales. But that was kind of the ceiling. And I think that that was uh, um, uh, largely due to also uh, um, con kind of learned and ingrained consumer behaviors that were pretty sluggish to shift. And guess what? I mean, the current situation <laughs> shifted that overnight. So we have kind of a catalyst event that uh, all, all of a sudden uh, makes something very acceptable or even desired that uh, saw more more resistance in the past. You know? So I think there's a massive opportunity there, not just to create a better customer experience, um, but also uh, make carrier ops of, uh, operations more what we call fit for growth, you know, where you basically have an opportunity to uh, uh, challenge the traditional way of, of structuring operations and work, which was traditionally done in uh, a, a channel type logic, you know, where you have retail and, and indirect distribution and contact centers, etc. Where I think the, the current situation where stores are closed and people are working from home and uh, things are to some extent uh, are being done in a bit of a stateless uh, um, uh, um, uh, situation, really uh, opens up new opportunities to rethink how you organize your workforce. Also, how you improve the employee experience, frankly, by adding uh, uh, flexibility and providing new options in terms of uh, um, uh, how you work and how you choose to be employed, um, uh, which then in terms of kind of uh, cold bottom line cost economics means that you can uh, um, you can optimize utilization and productivity in ways that were previously constrained by traditional channel structures. You know, so I think this really puts a spotlight and, and, and uh, kind of almost forces people to challenge some of the industry orthodoxies and some of those are are going out the window as we speak. Yeah, and that's this topic of uh, breaking barriers is really something that we've that we've seen and Florian, Florian mentioned now the, within the taco industry, but um, it's also happen happening beyond that. And maybe to the benefit or the, the taco industry can play an active role. One area I'm thinking of is um, healthcare, digital healthcare, for example. We've seen within a couple of weeks actually hurdles, um, obstacles, and regulatory barriers, for example, falling at a record speed um, here in the US. Uh, for example, there was a lot of um, uh, regulatory approvals that had been years 
chased by companies for years, um, for example, for interstate reimbursement of digital healthcare services. And um, that's really only just getting started. And some operators, telecom operators, um, are actually investing already into being a part of that and um, playing a role in digital health. So virtual visits to your doctor, um, virtual patient monitoring and these these kind of things. So the barriers are breaking really in terms of a lot of digital interaction, digital services, and will just make things possible that haven't been possible before. App adoption, driving beyond ceilings that were in there before, digital healthcare, working from home, conference services, all these kind of things. So it's really opening up in a way, ushering us into a new world way faster than we would have hoped. In, in many aspects. COVID-19 has simply accelerated an already evolving telecom fabric. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and pulled out some of the stops or removed some of the roadblocks to some extent, you know, either from a consumer behavior perspective, uh, but also, uh, uh, frankly, from a kind of forcing executive teams to really push the envelope and, and channel, uh, challenge uh, um, the kind of orthodoxies of the industry in, in, in new ways. So You sound cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I would say cautious optimism for the telecom sector is, uh, is, is right. I mean, of course, there's not a lot of optimism around this, this um, healthcare crisis that, that we have. I mean, that's just a terrible thing. And we're glad that telecoms can, can help. But then in the long run, um, for the telecom sector, there's not really, a, I think, a fundamental strategic, strategic shift. There's an acceleration of some trends, but there's no need, no reason, reason to panic. I think there's actually a lot of positive developments happening at the same time, especially with telecoms in the, yeah, the telecom fabric and the fabric of society being closely interwoven. Yeah, but that, that also comes with a, with a large degree of, of responsibility, I think, right? Because if you, if you look at at some markets and the, the level of unemployment uh, um, and economic hardship uh, um, uh, consumers are being hit with, I think that also presents a, a, a challenge and responsibility to telcos to, as I said earlier, have people's backs. And that may uh, involve thinking uh, uh, about uh, uh, what you charge for and pricing in different ways that may involve uh, rethinking the way you do uh, you do credit checks you know, and, and uh, what uh, what hurdle consumers need to pass to qualify for service, it may need to uh, uh, rethink uh, how you think about billing. You know, and, and people uh, who are living paycheck to paycheck uh, uh, may need or definitely need a little extra flexibility and 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 uh, um, maybe even payday advance. Uh, uh, type services to, to make it through the situation. Now, some examples where the telco just uh, uh, cut service, uh, that obviously paints you into one corner you don't want to be in. Um, but then there are other players who are experimenting with, with new models and, and also um, uh, trading credit scores, for example, with their own slightly more sophisticated or nuanced uh, risk prediction algorithms. Uh, to do people uh, uh, justice you know, and, and, and really kind of meet them where they are at the moment, which is crisis mode. Uh, I think in the digital era, connectivity and the access to digital services is so fundamental to everything we do. And if you're unemployed and you want to be re-employed, you need broadband to 
get out there yeah, and get that next job opportunity. Some of the gig workers, those jobs wouldn't be possible. So I think it's both an opportunity, but also a tremendous responsibility and an, and an opportunity to do, do good uh, in addition to making money. Which I would say Florian has already happened. I mean, there has been a lot of a lot of positive impact of CSPs and operators worldwide on the situation. And a lot of that good has already been done, especially in, in the early days, I would say. So telcos so far have lived, lived up to that responsibility. Many things have changed in the normal that will actually be in the long run beneficial for the telecom sector and society as a whole, I would say. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.